Bushwhacks were some of uh, the worst days I've ever had in the mountains, or life, really. I, and I tell people all the time, never underestimate the Catskills. You can't underestimate them. Why the Catskills is such a great place for trout. It was really the development of New York State. Catskills were responsible. Now you're listening to Inside the Line, the Catskills. Alright, welcome everyone to episode 58 of Inside the Line, the Catskills. It is me and myself tonight. My interviewee, unfortunately, had a cold or some sort of that, and she had to bail last second, like usual. Thank you, Myra. But that's okay. We look to have her in the future, basically, just so uh, we can get a recap of the Summit Stewards from the summer, of course. And uh, I can't wait to hear that because I want to see how good they did and how awesome it was to have Stewards on the Summit. So, excellent. We'll come back with that sometime, too. So... This is going to be a very short episode because I do not like listening to myself. Um, I like to have at least someone there with me doing stuff, uh, at least helping me out or just talking about other things category related. So listening to myself for a little bit or talking about myself is not really fun. It's actually very odd. So sorry about that. Um, so once again, local Christmas shopping, uh, ideas, Camp Catskill has got a lot of stuff. Check out their internet or their Instagram page and check out their Facebook page. It has a lot of cool stuff. They're posting pictures of their inventory. They have snowshoes, uh, upcoming. Well, actually, it can't be upcoming snow thing because this is going to snowstorm. This is going to post on Monday. So it's going to be a little out, but we have a snowstorm coming. Can't wait for that. Or oh, yeah, we had a snowstorm. So yeah, check out uh, Camp Catskill. Also, um, working on stickers, trying to get those stickers out there. I, I need some people to contact me. I wanted to contact a local guy to maybe print them out or get them, at least a local person to get them out, and uh, they haven't contacted me back. So Greg, tell your brother to contact me if he hasn't already. Um, so yeah, so um, this weekend i went to ashokan high point and i got recently told this is a really fun story so i got recently told from my friend that there are big foot chasers out there that actually do it for a living um yeah so hopefully i'm gonna get them on the show and i heard this person is really really into it um like really really into it so we're gonna try to get um on the show and we'll see what they can say so uh it's pretty funny because bigfoot chasers so um thank you to the monthly supporters darren white vicky ferra john comiskey jim c michael bongner david mead matt smith and now sharon klein thank you all for supporting the show i really really appreciate it um, big thank you to Outdoor Chronicles Photography for being the sponsor of the show. Um, she specializes in eloping photography in the mountains. Licensed guide. Her photos are, are great. Check out her Instagram and Facebook page for ideas of maybe what you could do for eloping or maybe 
an anniversary picture or maybe you just want pictures with your significant other or your dog, I suggest dogs is a really good idea. She could probably do that. Molly, thank you very much for supporting the show. Um, also, coffees. My God, everybody went crazy with coffees this week. I thank you very greatly. Um, Scott Merrill with a coffee saying that he loves the show. Thank you, Scott, so much. Brent Pierce uh, got three coffees, so thanks a lot. Said, keep up the good work. Your shows are progressively getting better and better and more interesting as you go. Really appreciate it. For some reason, I feel like they are getting interesting, but a lot of people are telling me they are, so I'm glad that is. Um, Gene M with five coffees and she says, dude, love your podcast. Just listen to four episodes on the not so short round trip visit to my homesick daughter at Alfred State. Totally psyched on the episode with Matt to hear my husband mention related blowdown brigade. Thank you, Gene, for the coffees and thank your husband for being a volunteer in the Catskills. Uh, they make this, this place what it is, basically. I'm Sherry Goffin. Also, thank you very much for a coffee. Crazy. Um, Michael Daughtry, uh, three coffees saying a rum and coke for you. Inside the line has taken me far beyond the 3500s and gives me ideas and historical context for my next adventure. Uh, Michael, I'm so glad to help people get beyond the 3500. That's not all that is there in the Catskills. There's so much more. There's so much the Catskills have offer and a lot of history. Speaking of history, uh, I'll get to my previous hike in a couple seconds, but I'm having tonight a not a Roman Coke first time in a long time. I am having a Jack Daniels honey whiskey and ginger ale. Freaking delicious. I'm sorry. It is absolutely delicious. So yeah, previous hikes. So I went up to Ashokan High Point. I only went out to the base of the mountain and I scoped out some side places I bushwhacked uh, on the sides of the mountain where there was a lot of history. Um, there was some big ancient cairns. There was some old foundations. I was told that the ancient cairns are not Indian cairns. They are more of where the, the farmers were storing their rocks and uh, stuff like that to get farming land. Now, why my friend who is uh, amazing human being in the in the Catskills, one of a very important person because he is a legend in the Catskills, or Ralph Rindeck, told me that the Native Americans did not build that because he believes, and some other people believe as well, that they definitely had more important things to do, and they were smarter than that to build farmland on the rocky areas such as Shokin High Point and all around that area because that was a, that's a very rocky area. It's the Picamoose Valley, so a lot of water flowed through that previously and the glaciers ripped that sides of the mountain. A lot of water flows off the side of that, so it was very rocky. The Catskills are very, very rocky. Getting a farmland in the Catskills, not in the valleys and up on the sides of the mountains is very, very difficult, almost impossible. Even though they did try to do that in a lot of places in the Catskills, it's actually really cool. Check out Michael Kudish's book on the forest of the Catskills. He talks about some high points in window on Window Mountain that were actually farmland almost up to the, to the summit of Window Mountains. Really cool stuff. But Ralph gave me some good pointers saying that the Native Americans were smarter than that and, uh, the rocky soil, no sunlight. They didn't want to make farmland in that. They were too smart, so they went into the deep, the the more wide open valleys, and uh, 
they built their farmlands. But of course, Americans are not so smart as we think. Um, they went in there and tried to build farmlands, and it was uh, a bad idea because, once again, it was very rocky. That means they had to move all those rocks, and the rocks were, were put on the sides of the mountains and the sides of the roads and stuff like that. And they were also just left there. And, you know, they also moved those rocks for old roads. Um, Ashokan High Point used to be a road connecting from Pekamoose Valley over top of Shokan High Point to, uh, what is it? My friends told me it was like Route 16 or something like that. Give me a second. I'm on the map really quick. Uh, route 209. I mean, it's not, yeah, it's Route 42 to Route 3. That's where it connected, uh, went over through the call of Ashokan High Point. And uh, that used to, you could easily tell if you go to Ashokan High Point, it's a great hike, um, very historical. You'll see the Karens all over the place. And uh, you'll definitely know, you'll want to come back and check out the historical time that Ashokan High Point carried. So, yeah, that was my previous hike. Uh, Catskill News volunteer once again. All volunteers, you should also, if you've been a volunteer in the previous year, go to Camp Catskill in Tannersville for your free New York, New Jersey trail conference hat. I posted this a, a little while back, a couple weeks back. Awesome hat. Beautiful hat. I can't wait to get it. I'm very excited. I got to get down to Tannersville. I got to get hiking. Uh, the storm is going to be hitting uh, Saturday, which is the previous Saturday. And... Uh, it's going to be a nice time. Time to bring out your snowshoes. Still keep those spikes with you, but keep your spikes with you and bring your snowshoes. It's going to be a great time. It's going to be 8 to 12 inches is what I heard where I live, and then maybe 6 to 12 inches down in the Catskill. So it's going to be nice. So, yeah, Catskill Mountain History Time. Let's do it. So tonight I wanted to, I kind of, once again, I did this last second. As always, I was thinking about the bald eagles in the Catskills, in the Catskills and New York State. Um, during a time of when I was a kid back in the 1980s, I remember that bald eagles were almost on the verge of extinction. And you could barely spot one in and around New York State. And uh, right near where I lived in the Sydney Dam, um, there used to be a bald eagle's nest and it was a major tourist destination because the bald eagles were near extinct. So everybody went there. Um, so what I did was pulled up DEC talking about the bald eagle restoration progress, which I'm trying to get a hold of them to have somebody talk about it because it's a fascinating time in the history of New York state and the Catskills because these beautiful birds were almost on the verge of extinction and Young, this project brought them back and now they are massively thriving. I got a bald eagle nest a quarter of a mile from my house in the middle of the city, which is, which is absolutely fascinating. And they keep coming back. They keep kicking ass, which is, which is great. So bald eagle restoration project in New York from 1976 to 1989. Now let's flash back to 1976. Uh, one pair of bald eagles still nest in New York, but they were no young birds. In fact, year after year, eggs are laid in the nest, but they collapse during incubation. Their shells thinned by the DDT and their parents' birds' bodies. And at the same time, people who want water sites home and vacations are moving into once remote sites that eagles need for nesting and wintering. 
uh, extinction of the majestic raptor seems inevitable, though DDT is now banned and their three-year federal endangered species law prohibits killing or injuring a bald eagle. How will the species recover if the eagles can't produce their young? Now, enter a team of dedicated biologists in New York's environmental agency with one idea. Perhaps if juvenile bald eagles from other states are released in New York, they will return here to breed just as they would if they hatched in New York. So, there are more questions than answers. Will the remaining pair of bald eagles Will the remaining eagle pair rear a young bird that they do not hatch? Can the young eagles learn to hunt without example of eagle parents? Um, if we started feeding the eaglets, will they keep their wild instincts and survive the five years until they can breed? Um, will the eagles return to the place they first fly, even though they weren't hatched, even though they were hatched somewhere else? And uh, does the New York still have DDT-free habitat where eagles can breed successfully? So let's move on to maybe how the bald eagles return. Um, the DET obtained resources from an unprecedented project that would answer these three questions and restore the bald eagles to New York. The results have exceeded even the most op- optimistic expectations today. Today, more than 80 bald eagle pairs breed successfully in the state and several hundred of the birds winter here. In 1989, New York's Bald Eagle Restoration Program put itself out of business by achieving its goal of 10 bald eagle pairs breeding in the state. The program used two techniques, release of the young non-native eagles through hacking, which is hand-rearing to independence, and manipulation of the state's only remaining native pair to foster the young. So, remote video observation New York's only surviving bald eagle pair showed that the birds were carrying out all the functions of nesting, but their eggs broke before they could hatch. Since it appeared that this pair would be good for parents, DEC bald eagle program personnel devised a plan to give them a chance. Within two weeks of the birds settling into incubation, a biologist climbed into the nest, removed any egg present, and inserted a plaster dummy egg. The adult birds incubated the artificial egg as their own for the next two to four weeks. Meanwhile, project personnel obtained a bald eagle chick from a captive breeding facility, brought it to New York, and transplanted into the nest. For three years, the pair accepted, cared for, and fledged captive bred chicks. After the male of the original pair died, the female mated with a hacked bird. They returned to the nest site and fostered five more chicks, uh, and since then, Hacked Eagles has occupied the next continuing for territory breeding. Now, this is in the 80s once again. Now we go to large-scale hacking. Having proven that the bald eagles could be hacked successfully, the DEC program set a goal of using the technique to restore 10 nesting pairs to New York. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service approved a plan to obtain about 20 bald eagles per year from Alaska, where uncontaminated species of wilderness supported a thriving eagle population. The condominium-style hacking towers were constructed in promising New York habitats, providing rearing space for 175 birds over the next nine years. Altogether, the Bald Eagle Restoration Program released 198 nesting eagles. As the hack eagles returned to the nest in New York, monitoring and managing these nests and keeping track of the growing population of wintering eagles became a priority for the DEC's Bald Eagles Program. 
And uh, since the bald eagle restoration program in 1980 ended in 1989, New York's eagle population has continued to grow, with birds again nesting and wintering in traditional areas and taking advantage of open lands and habitats acquired with funding from the Environmentally Equally Bond Act and the Environmental Protection Fund. So yeah, cool stories about bald eagles, the restoration project from 1976 to 1989. I'm going to look up uh, a little bit more information about this right now and see how much the population is. So um, it's crazy that the 1970s, there were believed to be two bald eagles in the entire New York. Now there are close to 1,000 and they are no longer considered endangered. Amazing stuff. Bald eagles, if you've never seen one, good lord, are they beautiful creatures. They are phenomenal creatures. And it sounds like um, my wife might be home if you heard the dog. So, yeah. That was Dexter, by the way. So, yeah. Bald eagle restoration program is really neat. Check it out. Go see if you can find a bald eagle. Um, any of the reservoirs have bald eagles flying around them all the time. The Cannonville, Cannonsville Reservoir, the Pacapacan, Ashokan, the Rondout, all those reservoirs. Uh, Gramsville Reservoir? What is, what is that one? I forgot what that one was called. Um, they have bald eagles all over the place, and, and it's crazy. Like like I said, quarter of a mile down my from my house is a bald eagle living right by a sawmill or a, a feeding mill. It's, it's really crazy stuff, and glad to see it come back. So, let's move on to the topic of the night. Best winter hikes to start off with. Let's go! So, I know I did a, a winter preparation hike episode a while ago, and I forgot. I think it was one of the 20 episodes. So, um, this is to bring you into the hikes that you could maybe even snowshoe or just even start your first winter hiking uh, progress. You know, I'm not just talking about 3,500s. I'm going to talk about a bunch of different areas that you could do some really easy winter hikes and not involving some technical challenges like massive amounts of ice. But I will be bringing those in later on in the episode. So let's start off with uh, some easy hikes that you can do to get yourself into winter hiking. Um, once again, safety is the big concern. Traction is needed, extra layers, food, water, shelter. I mean, the Catskills aren't like the Adirondacks where they have above tree line, but you need to take the Catskills seriously because ice is still there, the snow is still there, it's still cold. The higher you move up, the colder it gets. So you need to still take it seriously. Layers is a huge thing. Spikes is a, is a very huge thing because you cannot make it up a mountain without spikes or unless you're going to pull yourself up with trees, which looks absolutely ridiculous. But once again, need to have layers, traction, maybe snowshoes. It depends on uh, how many inches of snow, usually over six inches. Uh, you should have snowshoes on to make it easier for you and for the other people behind you if they they hopefully they have snowshoes on you can make that uh that rail that's beautiful to see remember safety first if there's going to be a snowstorm coming do not go please do not go i know it's pretty cool it's really neat to be out in those conditions but just save it for later the mountains are always going to be there so start off 
Maybe if you want to start off with the 3500 hike, I would suggest any of the fire towers. Fire towers are great. They're old road paths, easy to get up, really doesn't require any technical challenges. So, you know, your spikes would be good enough, not too steep. Most of them are very well traveled. So either there will be a path for you or, you know, maybe not. You can break trail, which is phenomenal. I've broken trail on Balsam Lake. I've broken trail on Red Hill and it was a phenomenal feeling. But any of the fire towers are a great place to, to start your, your winter hiking. Red Hill, short. Um, you probably will have to park on the Denning side because usually the other side going from the east is closed. And you'll have to hike up. You'll have to park on the the last road before it turns on to uh, down to the fire tower. So that'll add another like mile and a half to your hike. But still, it's still a wonderful hike. Beautiful. You go to the, from the dead inside new trail. So they probably made with good switchbacks. So it's probably perfect. No technical challenges. Another one. Perfect. Balsam Lake is a phenomenal hike for your winter start. I mean no technical challenges. It is super beautiful, super easy, wide. If there is ice, there's a great amount of ice. So of course, bring your traction, but it's a great one to start off with traction with to, to test out your traction. Because once again, it's not too steep until the last pitch when you climb up to the fire tower and stuff like that. And remember when you're on these fire towers, please do not wear your spikes on the fire towers because it could ruin the steps on the fire towers, especially if they're wood, it will rip them apart and they'll have to replace that every year. We don't really want to do that. Hauling the wood up to the top is a pain in the ass. Trust me. Um, another one to start off with besides fire towers, Slide Mountain. Beautiful hike. It's got maybe like one or two technical climbs, which is towards the top, but for a snowshoe, that is one of the most beautiful snowshoe hikes you could do. Getting towards the top, getting towards the balsam forest is absolutely stunning. And they have this place called the tunnel. That's what I call it. I call it the tunnel. The trees are draped over like a circular area uh, on the top, and it looks just like a tunnel. And when you're hiking in this in the winter, it is absolutely magical. But you start off at a low elevation, get up to 4,000 feet. You got a beautiful view at the top. Not really technical. I mean, the beginning is going to be a little bit icy once you get up to the kind of Willow Weemack trail junction and stuff like that. It takes you right, you know, onto the, the bigger path that used to be an old, uh, road going up to the top. And the technical, it's, it's just, it's just not there. Um, my wife and I did it once with a lot of ice and it was perfect for her. It was one of the perfect times that she actually trusted the spikes and she felt really good and she thought it was magical. And then once me, my friend Jake, uh, did that in the winter and there was, I'm guessing there was at least, at least two to three feet. I remember Jake posting for the photo, uh, the summit sign was at his chest. So really cool stuff there. Had to be at least two to three feet. Um, but a magical hike to start off with. Once again, very easy. No technical challenges. Beautiful view at the top. So you you, you have some motivation to get up there. Uh, another one to start off with. Of course, these are 3,500s. Maybe I'll break into the non-3,500s. Um, another one to great start off with is uh, Balsam. Balsam is one of the four required, as is, as is Slide. 
So um, that gets a little bit more technical towards the top. It also depends on where you're approaching it from. Um, both sides have a little bit of technical difficulty, but not too much. Um, in the winter, it's absolutely phenomenal. Breaking trail, I broke trail there one time, and it was magical stuff. Um, you start pushing up the little, it depends on which side you go on. When you go to the left, you start going north towards the Bel Air area. It, it starts off slow and then you get a little bit steep. You get to the trail junction of Bel Air and, uh, Balsam. When you take a right nice and smooth and then you start going up uh, a little bit steeper once again, but no technical difficulties that'll, that'll kill you or strain you or get you injured. But, beautiful view at the top uh you can descend whatever way you want you can descend via the west and then come the trail junction of mckinley hollow eagle uh eagle and then go down rider hollow on the side of the thing that gets a little bit sketchy at times during the winter because there is a lot of ice that's where the the creek flows um and then you got a river crossing at the end so i would suggest just retrace your steps and go back to the bail air junction and then go back down to rider hollow or you can approach it from mckinley hollow mckinley hollow is a great steep hike overall round trip i forgot how many miles but i think it's around six seven miles same with the, the rider hollow, hollow area but magical winter hike you can start off with also windham high peak is another easy one no technical difficulties great to break trail in good good times the one thing I, I would recommend talking about breaking trail once again i'm all over the place because i have no agenda for this i'm very sorry but when you're breaking trail it's really good to have a, a colleague with you or at least a couple people breaking trail with you if it's a good amount of snow because it is tiring one of these times i went my goal was to go thomas cole from barnum road and it was after a snowstorm of two and a half to three feet up in the high peaks. There's probably around four feet of snow. Um, I broke trail and it was exhausting. So usually getting up to Camel's Hump, it would take me about an hour and a half. It took me four and a half hours to get up there. I was breaking trail by myself the whole way up. Now, if there was two people, we probably could have cut that in half. Maybe three people, that would have been... Uh, a fantastic time, but it was just me and myself, and it was exhausting. So if you're going to go break trail after a snowstorm, please take a colleague and stuff like that. Save yourself some energy because it is exhausting. So once again, Wyndham High Peak, uh, I would approach it from Peck Road if it's plowed and uh, bring a shovel because sometimes you might have to make your own parking area. But if it's plowed, if all these places are plowed, um, Definitely approaching Wyndham High Peak from Peck Road is a great hike for introduction into the winter. Um, speaking of my wife, that was her first like introduction to cold weather um, hiking, winter hiking, and uh, she loved it. It was it was very easy. Um, a little bit of ice that was avoidable. You know, you just hop over it. Please, when there's ice and you want to avoid it, don't walk off the trail. You're going to kill vegetation. Walk right through it or put your damn spikes on because... Once again, we don't want to kill the vegetation. We don't want to make trails wider. We don't want to make three different trails because people want to avoid ice. Get some some hill sounds or some um, some katulas. You use the katulas. They're a little bit thinner. They're a little bit shorter in um, in spike length. So those dirt areas that you get once in a while, it's easier to walk over and it's easier to not wear them down. 
Um, so what about some ones that are not 3,500 hikes that you could do in the winter? One of my favorite hikes to do in the winter is, of course, around the North South Lake area. You can either do the escarpment or you can do North Point. Now, North Point Mountain, I usually take from Scott Road because I don't know if anything's plowed. And usually going over from Ashley Falls area, the Barry Glen, is never plowed. So you have to probably park somewhere else on the, the southern side or the, the eastern side because they usually Oh, excuse me, plow that. Um, but going from Scott Road, nice flat walk, little elevation gain until you get to the junction of uh, what I call Ledge Falls. I don't think it's called that, but uh, and then you start gaining a little elevation and uh, it becomes a little bit technical towards the top. You get a lot of sketchy areas and this is a great introduction hike to ice. Sometimes, one of the times I went up there, I had to avoid the ice and I had to bushwhack around it because it was very steep and very technical. It was only, I wouldn't say it's very steep. Let me, let me rephrase that. It was a steep area with a lot of ice that made it even steeper because you couldn't like, you know, grab onto things or have any handholds. So I had to bushwhack around it. And this was also with like two, three feet of snow. But once again, nice, slow gaining area gets technical towards the end that's when you need your spikes please bring your spikes bring your spikes anywhere in the winter times and any time that if stuff is freezing over um you can go around the escarpment i wouldn't suggest going down to uh catterskill falls uh, to the base unless you really know your shit with the winter hikes because that is definitely a technical area a very sketchy area that is scary um especially with all the the steps freezing over, that gets to be a very sketchy and very scary that you could actually, you know, hurt yourself like they always do. If freaking everybody hurts herself at Catterskill Falls for some reason, especially oh, the tourists. So, yeah, let's not get into that subject. So, Scarment Trail, North Point Mountain. Another one good is Huckleberry Point. Uh, I would not suggest going over the ledges. I would suggest just staying near the ledge and stuff like that and check out the viewpoint. But Huckleberry Point has some good elevation gain in the beginning. Nice flat walk uh, from the trail junction of the Catterskill High Peak area. When you take a right, brings you to a beautiful thing. You might have a stream crossing it too, so it might get a little uh, wet. Once again, waterproof boots and uh, an extra pair of socks is always good to carry. Now, if you want to get definitely a little bit more technical, like you want to bring your hell sounds or do some steep stuff, there are a lot of different uh, hikes that you could do to get you a little bit more confident on your winter hiking. So Panther Mountain is one of the first I suggest that you're going to have to do that if you want to get in the 3500 Club, and that's probably that. And Blackhead are the more tougher challenges of the 3500 Club requirements of the winter hikes. Panther Mountain Everybody underestimates Panther Mountain. The beginning of the hike of giant up to Giant Ledge is very wet and very icy. And a lot of people underestimate that because, you know, it's a little bit steeper. You gain 1,200 feet up to Giant Ledge, and then you only have another 600 feet going up to Panther Mountain. So it gets very technical. So the spikes are very good. The hill sounds are very, very good on the, that hike snowshoeing is fantastic on that hike because it covers up all the freaking rocks that you have to go to giant ledge and makes it the smoothest damn hike you ever did and you get the views of giant ledge the awesome view at the top of panther mountain 
And then also you can try it from Fox Hollow. Fox Hollow is a fantastic hike that, um, it's a lot longer. It's about three miles longer than the, uh, the Panther Mountain hike from Giant Ledge, Charlotte, but it's a gradual gain. Takes you two beautiful bumps that you can get some views once in a while when there's no leaves on the trees. And, uh, towards the end, it gets a little bit more technical and you get tiny little bit that has a technical spot, but it is a very, very beautiful and secluded hike. You will most likely not see very many people, if not any people on the hike from Fox Hollow to Panther Mountain. Um, if we, we go on to a little tiny bit more technical, I would say Black Head is pretty, pretty technical. Um, especially if you approach it from the east side, which the east side is notorious for its ice. It's notorious for its steepness. Um, if you are just starting out or if you're not confident with your winter hikes, I would not suggest it going from the east side. I would suggest going up the west to Lockwood Gap and then approaching it. It's still steep and you will still need your spikes or your snowshoes with uh, traction on the bottom, but it is nowhere near as icy as the east side of, of Blackhead Mountain because Blackhead on the east side receives very little sunlight and everything drains off of there because it's so steep because, and then it becomes an amazing crappy ice show. And towards the top, it gets very, very steep and very technical. I had the, the opportunity one time to go up there. Uh, it wasn't really after a snowstorm, but as after we got some snow, the ice was still present in the lower parts of the blackhead towards the top. The snow was present, but since it's snow so steep towards the top, we started like losing traction really easy because of the snow. So we were sliding like five feet, gaining maybe three feet, sliding out a little bit more. And it was becoming exhausting. So what we did was went up from the east side and then we descended down or we went up the east side. Then we descended down the, the west into Lockwood Gap and then just did a full loop. So Blackhead is definitely an awesome one. Black Dome, of course, right there. Awesome. Intra, if you're a little bit more confident on your winter hiking, definitely get into that. One of the best ones that I've done, as I did with my friend Greg Calabrese, who is a Rip Van Winkle Adventure Guides awesome dude very knowledgeable of the cat skills we did a snowshoe up sugarloaf mountain fantastic time we approached it from the roaring kill and then parked at mink hollow and the snowshoe up of course from roaring kill was was pretty nice and pretty easy um but the the snowshoe down from the roaring kill from the, the summit down into Mink Hollow was very, very technical, very scary. Um, a lot of people have gotten injured there. I know at least two or three people that have gotten injured on that western side of Sugarloaf Mountain on the Devil's Path. And um, you'll definitely need spikes. You'll definitely need traction on the bottom of your snowshoes. And you'll definitely, I would suggest, in the wintertime with these technical climbs going with a partner because you never know that you might get injured. And of course, if you have a partner, the person can go get help and help you out on that extraction that you might need from the Rangers or even for yourself. So I am going to rescue myself, by the way, if I ever get injured, I am never calling for search and rescue unless it's 100% like life threatening. <laughs> so check out those hikes for, if you want to get a little bit more technical, Sugarloaf, Panther, Blackhead, Black Dome. They have a little bit steeper pitches in different areas that'll help you get a little bit more confident on your, your climbing skills with spikes and, and maybe crampons. I 
let's uh i'll go into some of my experiences that i have with uh hiking in the winter once again i did a, an awesome hike snowshoeing up with my friend jake who is a fellow search and rescue uh, volunteer he and i did slide mountain in the middle i wouldn't say it's a snowstorm but in the middle of a significant snowfall and it was absolutely fantastic beautiful pictures so much snow the the trees the the balsams were hanging down draping down that basically you were scraping your heads on them when you were going up and it was one of those magical times no view but that didn't matter i had the presence of jake and jake's always a good time i always love hiking with jake so much to talk about one of the best memories i have in the catskills is when i'm up at the top with jake and we're eating lunch we're getting ready to go we're we're leaving out and he's like let you know jake is the last tech savvy guy he has a flip phone and he is younger than i am but we're getting ready to leave he's like you want to take a selfie and i was like what and he's just like it's all about memories right and i was like bam hit my heart i was like oh my god this guy is awesome so took a selfie together at the summit i loved it i loved it so much um but that was a great hike snowshoe with uh with greg was a fantastic hike we did that summited sugarloaf Another one that was, was great is, uh, I went up Hunter Mountain from Spruceton, broke trail all the way up to the top. It wasn't too technical. Luckily, I had my friend Travis with me, um, for breaking trail. Um, but I did come down from that and, uh, we were sprinting down. You know, you, you get down these areas when you're in snowshoes and you get a little confident. So you get a little cocky. You, you run down because you have the significant amount of snowfall, but, in this one particular area, I was sprinting down and I kind of tripped and I slid on the snow and the snow was so fluffy enough that I scraped my knee and I ripped part of my skin off. Luckily, I did not do any significant damage, but when I came home later, I was bleeding pretty bad and we had to wrap that thing up. Um, one of the more challenging and probably scariest, mo- scariest moment of my hiking times was when I went solo up Plateau Mountain. I went up from the Mink Hollow area, of course. I don't know why. I was just like, it's the shortest. You can sum it. You can cross it off the list. I went up solo. And the previous week, me and my friend John, we all know John from uh, previous episodes. He is hates the winter and stuff like that. So we did, we did Plateau Mountain and... It was his first time using snowshoes, and he loved it. He was absolutely loved it, but he had different snowshoes than me. I had traction on the bottom that would grip well with snow and ice. Um, sometimes your your snowshoes don't have traction on the bottom. They don't have uh, like bind or they don't have crampons on the bottom and stuff like that, and it makes it really difficult to ascend the steeper areas. So John didn't have that, and uh, we were slipping down the mountain. So I decided to call it a quarter of the way up plateau mountain but you know what i give him kudos for for doing really good but the next week i decided to ascend it myself and uh it had mel- it had gotten a little bit warmer and a lot of stuff had melted so that means i wore my spikes and feeling confident going up but towards the steeper areas of course we all know that the the eastern side of plateau mountain is abnormously steep insane and i went up i ascended with my spikes on but i descended with my full-on crampons it was insane steep 
that I was not confident that my spikes would grip well. So I used my full-on crampons for the first time ever. And I got to admit, I wasn't prepared for full-on crampons. So I was rookie, you know, um, my the way I was stepping wasn't right. It was catching on my pants. I ripped my pants like three or four times. My wife had to sew them. So if you have full-on crampons, uh, you're, you're not going to need them that much in, in the Catskills, um, unless you're going up, you know, the steep southern side of a Catskill High Peak or some parts of the Devil's Path. But I would suggest maybe like walking in the snow or something in the backyard and getting used to them because they seriously are a whole different world than, than, um, than hill sounds or like, you know, the easy trail crampons or, or micro spikes. So definitely get used to that. But wow, what a, what a crazy day that was. I was scared shitless on the way down. I took my sweet ass time and luckily I made it out and I was, I was very scared. Um, check out my Instagram because I have a, a video of me coming down the ice and it looks like seriously an ice sheet, like a waterfall ice sheet. And this was from the trail junction all the way up to the top. So it was very, very insane. Once again, shortest route. Might as well go up it. Nope. Bad idea. Another one, I, I said this before, is going up Thomas Cole. I broke trail. Beautiful bluebird day. Two and a half feet of snow. Four feet at, at the top of, Cam of Camel's Hump. And I was going to go to Thomas Cole, but I called it a day because I was exhausted. I wore myself out. I broke trail the whole way. And then I come back down. When I'm coming back down, there is, you know, I done my broke trail right up through the trail. When I come back down, there's a group of people, probably about 15 people that are off trail with no snowshoes on. And they are having a horrible time. But, you know, 15 people, that makes it probably pretty easy. But I was, I was curious of why um, they were off trail and not on trail doing stuff. And uh, one of the guys was asking me where Thomas Cole was. And I'm just like, in, in my mind, I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. You got to be freaking kidding me. And I said, well, the trail's right here. You still got another maybe like mile and a half, two miles to go. And I broke trail for you. So why are you guys off trail? Um, they barely spoke English. And uh, they just walked past me and said, okay. And I was like, all right, whatever. Um, yeah. Another great time. Um, last one that I'm going to mention that I had a great time going up is, uh, so me and my friends, uh, John Fellow, uh, Mike Farrell, Maddie Longer, and, and Greg Opice and his, his girlfriend, Barb, ascended North Dome from Devil's Path, which was an absolutely phenomenal day. We all wore snowshoes. We didn't have to break trail. Beautiful, already broken trail up to the top. We met Greg and, and Barbara at the top and then descended with them. Beautiful bluebird day, beautiful pictures, about two feet of snow, beautiful stuff signed in. And then when we were coming back down, Greg and Matt, or Greg and John and Barb started sprinting down the mountain in the fluffy snow and stuff like that. And I thought they were going to die. It was actually very, 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 very funny, but also very scary at the same time. So, um, once again, if, if you have any questions about winter hiking, don't hesitate to, to ask a fellow friend that's a winter hiker or ask me or, you know, ask a guide or something like that. The guides around here are absolutely phenomenal people and they could tell you a bunch of different things, where to get stuff, what they suggest and stuff like that. Don't hesitate to ask me. I'm not the professional winter guide person that they are, but I 
no my shiznit. So yeah, so um, post hike bruise and bites. Oh god, don't really have any post hike bruise and bruise and bites. Once again, this is a unplanned night. Usually I have this stuff planned out, but you know I just decided to do this. I like to keep this weekly, I like to keep people you know going and stuff like that. So, but once in a while I might have to make it. Uh, bi-weekly like I, I did last week with Henry, which was an awesome episode. I love that. So yeah, thank you to the monthly supporters for the show. I really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. Uh, thank you to our sponsor, Outdoor Chronicles. Really appreciate that as well, keeping the show flowing. Thank you to all the people who gave coffees. Really appreciate it. It, it warms me up. And once again, I'm trying to get those stickers out. That guy hasn't contacted me yet. Actually, right now, I'm sending him a message to see if he can get it going. So, right here, you can probably hear, print off 100 or more stickers. I should probably put, like, a lot of money involved. <laughs> so, yeah, keep on the edge. If you want a sticker, you know, send me your address uh, in through Instagram or Ooh, excuse me, Facebook, and I'll get back to you. Once again, thanks for listening to uh, episode 58 of Inside the Line, the Catskills. Wicked! Hey guys, I just want to thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe and throw down a smooth review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any podcast platform that you use. You can also check daily updates of the podcast, hikes, hiking memes, and local news on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the official website of the show. Remember this, you just keep on living, man, L-I-V-I-N.